Hello and welcome to How I Hire, the podcast that taps directly into the best executive hiring advice and insights. I'm Roy Notowitz, founder and president of Noto Group Executive Search. You can learn more about us at notogroup.com. As a go-to firm for purpose-driven companies, we've been lucky to work with some of the world's most inspiring leaders as they've tackled the challenge of building high-performance leadership teams. Now, I'm sitting down with some of these very people to spark a conversation about how to achieve success in hiring and create purposeful leadership for the next generation of companies. I'm excited to welcome entrepreneur Gloria Huang to the show today. Gloria spent five years working on social impact at Tom's before founding her company, Thousand. Based in Los Angeles, Thousand makes high quality, innovatively designed helmets and accessories for urban mobility. The brand has cultivated an inclusive community of riders with a mission to empower people to get moving in a safe, accessible, and stylish way. Together, we'll discuss Gloria's powerful vision, her hands-on approach to recruiting and hiring through different stages of growth, as well as what she and her team look for in candidates today. Gloria, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your career journey and the path that you took to becoming an entrepreneur and ultimately the CEO of Thousand? Sure. I think I've had a really fun career. I graduated college with a liberal arts major. So honestly, I think my parents were just happy I would have any sort of job. But my goal was to go into the nonprofit industry. I didn't know much back then about what I did and didn't like, but I knew I wanted to help people. So I did a year of AmeriCorps with Habitat for Humanity. And then I was just looking for other opportunities. At the time, there was a small company in you know Venice. I had watched a YouTube video, like when YouTube was just coming out, called Tom's. And it, it just seemed like a bunch of like kids in a warehouse trying to do good through business. And for me, it was the first time I heard of that concept, so it sounded super interesting. I don't even remember how I applied, but <laughs> I applied and got an internship, went there and kind of fell in love with social entrepreneurship and stayed at Tom's for like five years growing with the company from where they were like 15 or 30 people to like when they were like 500 people. So it was a super fun journey. I got a lot of different jobs and really got to flex entrepreneurship just because, you know, there's so much to do in such a fast growing company. And then at one point I made a decision, which was just like, do I want to be doing this forever? And I, I actually loved my job at Tom's. I loved the people that were there, but I, my answer was no. So I really tried to figure out what I wanted to do. There was an opportunity to go to business school, or there was an opportunity to start something. And at the time it was way cheaper to start something. (laughs) So I figured my savings account at the time, which was like 20 grand would go a lot further than like trying to get an MBA. So I went for it. Well, now, you know, that's probably the most expensive MBA though, is starting a business. Yeah. Had I known. (laughs) (laughs) And you've always been entrepreneurial, right? From a young age. So that path sort of seemed comfortable for you. Is that kind of why you felt like confident branching out and moving in that direction? Yeah. I think, you know, when I was growing up, no one talked about entrepreneurship or there wasn't like that term for me, like Growing up, like instead of getting like a job scooping ice cream or something, I would skate, I would sell like skateboard decks on eBay and like I'd make my own skate wax and all of these things and I'd bundle up different lots together to sell. I learned about drop shipping really early on too. So I like would sell PlayStation 2s, I remember during like Christmas time. There wasn't a word for it back then. I thought I was just like being sneaky. And then I think my first taste of it was at Tom's. I realized someone had started something out of nothing 
to create a business and to try to give back and do good. And I do credit Tom's with my entrepreneurial journey just because I saw like it was possible and a real thing. So what kind of skill sets did you develop or what kind of responsibilities did you have at Tom's that sort of fed into your experience, your corporate experience or your business experience coming into the early days of Thousand? I started at Tom's in something called the giving team back then. So it was the social impact arm of Tom's. And, you know, I started working with nonprofit partners. I realized I liked the numbers and the analytics, so they put me in reporting. And then I think people realized I just like to fix problems. So they made me something called like a continuous improvement specialist or something like that. And and eventually I jumped out of the giving team to be in a little incubator arm that Blake, our founder at the time, was creating. So it was literally just coming up with ideas, putting business plans behind them and pitching them and talking to departments to see how things would work. So if I'm honest, I feel like I had the best setup for an entrepreneurial journey because when I started Thousand, I just used the playbook I used when I was you know, working in this incubator. That's fantastic. What a rich experience that was and how that served you starting Thousand. I can see why you appreciate that experience so much. So what was it like in the early days of Thousand and how did you go about getting things off the ground and eventually you know, what were some of the first hires that you had to make? I would say in the early days of Thousand, I wasn't paying myself for that first couple of years. Uh, And the money we had was just the money in our bank account from the Kickstarter. So I relied very heavily on freelancing, which is just any friend who's talented. I love that term. (laughs) Just willing (laughs) to give you some free time. Um, I took wholeheartedly and I had some great friends who who did a lot of great work for me. When we started to build a team at Thousand, you know, it was one of those points where I realized the brand was growing and I couldn't handle all the work if I wanted to keep on growing it. So it was just thinking of what were the key things, which I thought made Thousand different. So I I wouldn't say I knew how to hire or what to look for, but it was kind of the first steps. So your approach was more about not duplicating or taking things off your plate, but sort of amplifying some of the areas that you felt were important to continue to drive the growth of the brand. You know, there were things I knew I was good at and things I knew like I wasn't best in class at. And I knew I wanted early on thousand to be best in class at a couple of things. And it was, you know, digital in our brand. So I remember I knew Photoshop back then and I was making images for our email and they were terrible, like (laughs) looking back at it. And I knew, you know, we had this beautiful product so that the images and the words had a match up to it. So I think one of my first hires was someone who ran the brand and kind of creative direction at thousand and same. I didn't know much about e-com. I knew how to online shop, but I didn't know, you know, Shopify or the back end or Klaviyo or any of that stuff. So really early on, hired someone who could help me start really just getting that off the ground. So based on your experience, can you summarize the challenges that early stage entrepreneurs face when trying to hire? I know those first few hires, you sort of had to sell the story, right? And what you were building. For me, the big kind of challenges early on was one, back then there wasn't really LinkedIn to to post a job. So, you know, we couldn't find candidates anywhere. It was just asking our friends and asking friends of friends if they knew people who could do a job. So sourcing was a really big challenge, but also the amount we could pay was really tough. We had a couple of first hires that were really talented and they were like, I'm making X amount right now, or I made X amount before this. Can you match it? And as a small company, you're You're like, I literally don't have that money to match it. I I think a lot of those challenges you have to overcome by selling the culture, trying to build in what your mission is. And there are people who want to come along to try to do something impactful. And that's how we really got off the ground, just by those talented people. 
And what was your strategy for competing against those companies that can pay more as you started to grow? I would say in the early days, if a candidate's incentive really is like the salary, I would say at that point, it's probably not the candidate for you just because you're never going to be able to compete with that. For me, it was really understanding what I'm really just looking for are motivated, passionate, additional hands to help me just handle different parts of the business. So I guess I never was trying to compete with those people. I was just trying to find the people that I knew were the right fit for the brand at the time. So what would the selling points be for somebody if they were comparing what the experience would be like working for 1000 in those early days in the growth stage? versus somewhere else or what would differentiate somebody who would be attracted to a small growth oriented early stage company? I mean, definitely people who are just generalists that like to get their hands into everything in the early days, you know, our warehouse and our office was combined in like uh, every day at 2 PM, someone would take turns to ship product, like whoever you were, like uh, you would have to pack up a pallet. So you know, in every couple of weeks, a container would come and we would all take that Wednesday off and unload a container. So the, the people I think who are attracted to that environment, again, they're entrepreneurial themselves. They like the fact that you're starting something from the ground up. You're not just the wheel in the cog, like you're literally creating something and it takes every person there to get it off the ground. One of the things that really struck me when we first connected was how engaged you were in hiring. I mean, we had talked a little bit about your process and your involvement, and I was kind of blown away. I've never seen an entrepreneur so capable, I guess, in recruiting. In fact, you gave me some leads for another job we were working on. Remember the, the growth marketing job? Yeah, I, I had just finished that job, and I knew it was a tough one. I was like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're amazing. So how did you develop that muscle? And do you think other entrepreneurs should also develop that muscle to that extent? Absolutely. Honestly, as an entrepreneur, especially as a founder, like one of your biggest tasks, and it's something like I think I learned too late, was the ability to recruit and to hire and to distinguish good talent. So for me, I think I didn't know that quality or I didn't have that trait in the beginning. And I kept on getting a little upset, like <laughs> with hires I would make. And I'm like, why can't this person do this? Well, it's because I didn't screen them for that. You know, we're growing as a company. We need this skill set now. Oh, geez, this person doesn't have that. Well, you know, I also just didn't ask that person. I didn't really think ahead to think to myself, is this person going to be able to do the role in a couple of years? So I think I started to realize the breakdowns we were having in our hiring process or just like talent pull was starting from me. I, I would hire because someone had like the job on the resume and they came from a good company. So I said, cool, that's great. They're a bigger company than thousands. So <laughs> it must be good. But I think I started to really realize what hiring good talent was. So I, I really learned just the whole process, everything from sourcing to recruiting, to really understanding people's strengths, weaknesses, making offers and all of that. So I, I would say it's something I want to enjoy, but too, like, I think it's kind of vital for a company's health for founders to be really strong at, if I'm honest. So how did you develop that strength in selection, recruiting and selection? Was that just through trial and error and experience? Or did you seek advice through mentors or friends or just resources? How did you develop that knowledge and that ability to really understand somebody's capabilities or competencies and apply that to understanding what you needed and all that? It comes down to really understanding the role that you're hiring for and what a person needs to be successful in that role. Again, if you put out a super general job description, I need a marketing manager. 
but you don't really know what that marketing manager needs to do. So for your business, you could be a super SEO heavy business. You could be a super heavy paid business, but if you just hire a marketing manager and you don't really screen for the skills that they need, when they're not successful in the role, that's kind of, you know, that's your fault as an entrepreneur and a founder, because you didn't really match up what you needed with the candidates. So for me, I think it starts with just really understanding your business and really, really scoping out very detailed job descriptions. And I think your whole job in that candidacy is to try to understand how well does this candidate match up with my job description? And then how well does this candidate match up with my culture? And if you're like a go on both things and you're finding good candidates, if you're not a go on both things, then maybe it's a sourcing issue. Maybe it's, you know, this or that. But at the end of the day, I think that's your job when you're recruiting internally for your company. Like, can I get these people that match the things I need right now? Marketing is such a broad discipline and there's so many different elements to that and, and what somebody's experience is and what they focus on and gravitate towards and what they're capable of doing is not something you can just read on their resume either, right? So there's so much thoughtfulness that can go into this process that sometimes gets just overlooked with a generic job description. I would say one thing we started to introduce in our hiring process too was just examples of work or case study. So if we're really looking for candidates who could do, let's say, organic social really well. Can you give us examples in your past of where you've done organic social? And, you know, you ask people questions and why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? If you're just hoping someone can do a new channel, they can probably, but it's going to be a learning curve. So you're okay with the learning curve. So it's always asking yourself those questions. Are there any intangible things that you look for, like, you know, passion for their work or other things that you think are important? For me, we look for values fit, which probably is a little more intangible. We've got four core values and we screen for it in all of our screening calls. So for me, when I'm talking to candidates, I'm looking to see if they care about more than something than just the job or just the salary. And they say they care about community or they care about trying to make something more sustainable, more diverse. For me, that's a great indication that that person is going to care about our values. And that's largely, I think, the big kind of qualifier look for beyond just job description and can you do the role. Because they could be amazing, but if they don't share those core values, then that's not going to work out. Yeah, totally. So what are those values? They're longer sentences, but I'll just boil them down into those four things. One is sustainability, one is diversity, one's impact, and one's community. So again, for me, when I'm talking to candidates, I'm really looking for people to say, you know, what do you look for in a role? Like what, what's a great work environment to you? If someone says, I love free snacks or I love open space environments, that's an awesome answer, but maybe not a great culture fit for us. If someone says, I really value community, people who value different points of view and bringing them to the table, I really value building long-term solutions for things. Like for me, those are great answers. That's someone who's really going to get along with other people in our team. Speaking about diversity and diverse candidate pipelines, how do you facilitate or cultivate a diverse candidate pipeline? And then how do you make sure that the process is inclusive and equitable? I would say one, we're like on a journey. So we're by no means like at the finish line. We're doing a great job. I think we have a lot of ways to go. But for me, it's like probably comes down to three things. One, we make sure we list it in our job postings that this is something we care and we value. So again, like if let's say the outdoor industry, there aren't a lot of people of color or women because they don't see a lot of people of color or women in it. If they see that a company actually values this stuff, even if they don't come from the outdoor industry, they're more inclined to apply. Another thing that we do is we have a rule where our top three candidates, one of those people has to be from a diverse background. 
we define that as sexual orientation, gender, or, or race right now. And for us, that's important because it, it kind of makes sure your sourcing was good. So if you, if you don't have any, if you don't have any uh, diverse candidates in your top three, well, maybe look at the sourcing pool that you started with. And, and then the last thing we do is, again, we hire based off of case studies or examples of past work. So we try to remove just the pure interview process out of the equation. Some people interview well, some people don't interview so well. So can you just see what you think the person is actually going to do through the case study or example of work? And, and from there, best candidate wins. And I think that's how we do largely have a very diverse team at Thousand. We've, we've given diverse candidates the opportunity just to show their work in a more objective way. And again, a lot of those candidates are winning out. Making sure you spend enough time with candidates and really getting to know them and having deep dialogue beyond just interview questions is such a good takeaway, I think, as well. Because you're right, some people don't interview well, and that doesn't make them a bad candidate. And some people interview really well, and they could potentially over-index on an area that you think they have a competency in, and maybe they don't. Yeah. Our final round interviews are actually just overviews of work or a case study, because it gives you a really good chance to dive into what a person was thinking through. And again, some people are a lot better written. They're good at kind of saying, hey, this is what it is. Here's it written. You're like, oh, well, I didn't get that in the the interview that this is how you kind of construct things. That's another good takeaway. Sometimes if a candidate doesn't have the best answer in an interview, circling back and digging in some more, giving them an opportunity to respond to that versus making a judgment initially without, you know, maybe another opportunity for them to clarify is a good way to confirm or deny something that you might suspect. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think we do spend a lot of time with candidates up front before we make offers. So I think some people just do an hour. For me, it's really hard to get to know if a person's going to be really strong at a role in a 15-minute screening call and then like a 45-minute interview. So for me, I do tend to spend more time with candidates up front just to make sure like we're going to both be a good fit for each other. So determining organizational structure, roles, timing of hires in order to scale is another challenge that entrepreneurs have. Typically, how do you figure out the puzzle or develop a hiring roadmap for Thousand? Well, I'll say this. When I started, I would say I didn't know. And I I made hires based off of what I thought the brand just needed at that moment and what we had the budget for. So it was pretty loose in the beginning. And, you know, maybe just for the size we were, that was appropriate. I would say like where we are now, it's understanding what Thousand's roadmap is. So like, where do we want to go in this next three years? And who are the people that need to kind of be in place to help us get there? And what seniority level and, you know, all of these things, how does it relate to revenue? So how realistically can we bring them on each year? So I think it starts with understanding your strategic roadmap as a business. If you don't know where you're going, then it's hard to hire talent because you're just kind of picking who you think you'd like at the point. But if you have a direction, then, then it's really easy to say, in this next three years, I need a director level of marketing because I need someone who could do strategy, but get tactical. I need a ARAP person because I'm opening up terms for my business for the first time. So again, it's, it's really understanding the direction your company is going. So understanding where you're going and how you want to get there, but then also what about the existing talent within your team and understanding their growth potential in the context of also thinking about external hires you might bring in? How do you go about sort of considering what people are capable of as they're growing up within the organization. I will say one thing I, I'm probably more of a stickler on than most entrepreneurs is making sure I level set everyone's title like pretty appropriately when they join. So like even in the beginning, when we would hire people at thousand, 
people who were entry level, we gave them coordinator titles and people who were more senior, we gave, and if we needed it, we gave them like higher titles. But I think what that allowed us to do well is to build just a roadmap for people to grow in the organization. So again, if you were entry level with us year one and you proved that you could take on these responsibilities, it was to show people the next step. So I, you know, I bought a really dorky book for everyone at one point. I think it was called The Performance Pipeline or something like that, but it literally talks through what each stage of the career journey is. This is what it means to be an individual contributor. This is what it means to be a manager, a group director, all of these different things. These are the skill sets you need and these are the barriers to overcome them. So, you know, when people were interested in career development, I would walk them through the book and talk them through, this is where you are right now. This is where you're trying to get to. These are the skills we need to develop. Here is a roadmap. Here are the five skills I need you to develop in this next year. And let's meet about it, you know, once every quarter and let's talk about your progress. So it's stuff like that. I think it's making sure you understand where people want to go and, and giving them a path to get there. Again, I think when you're hiring externally, totally understand it. You know, you need a certain subject matter expertise sometimes that you may not have internally. But I think it's also making sure it's balanced, that there's good learning and development going on internally. So people who want to grow can grow in your organization. That sounds like a really good book. We'll get the title of that and we'll put it in the show notes in case anyone's interested in checking it out. Sure. It's very nerdy and very technical, but I, I, I really like it. I think level setting, I mean, it's sort of great to set expectations in that way in terms of career journey so people don't get promoted beyond their competence, you know, and that's not doing them a favor for their career either, right? If they're thinking they're one thing and they're not really there yet. I think too, like one entrepreneur sometimes use title as a lever point for, you know, getting a good candidate in. Let's give them a director title or a VP title, even though they've only been like a manager or coordinator before. That'll get that talent in. But like what happens now when your organization has grown and that person actually isn't doing a VP or a director role and you actually need to hire maybe someone that's doing a director or VP role. It's being considerate of those points to make sure like the talent that you have doesn't feel demotivated because you're shifting around their job responsibilities or titles because you didn't level set appropriately. So building the company from the ground up, you really created or had a clean slate for creating the company culture. What are one or two unique or special things about the culture that you've developed at Thousand? And in what ways has your talent recruitment and selection helped to shape that? I would say it is that values orientation. So for us, I wouldn't say we're always successful and it is still a journey for us, but it's trying to make those value mean something more than like a piece of paper or something you put on a wall. So, you know, we've gone through exercises where we've defined out what our values actually mean to us, what the behaviors are. So that way, when people feel like someone is living within our values, you can call it out. I feel like, I feel like Bianca did a really good job of showing our impact value today. Or again, if someone's living without our values, you can talk to this person. I, I didn't feel like, you know, this person lived within our community value. And these are the reasons why. I think I tie culture to just like what you believe and how you work together. And I think I wouldn't say we're doing anything differently, but we we really tried to kind of hold that forward. Like if we believe in these things, this is how it should fit into how we treat each other. This is how it should fit into our goals long-term and overall. These are just the expectations that are really clear all the time. I mean, it's kind of also as you're empowering people to make decisions and things, it gives them the ability, the guidelines to know and to use those values as a tool for evaluating decisions and what the right decisions are for the organization. I would say too, like they show up on our performance reviews. So again, it's not just your 
ability to hit your goals. It's, you know, what did you do? That was a great demonstration of your values. Are you part of our culture club? Are you going above and beyond to try to do X, Y, and Z for a thousand? And again, we try to make sure we, we compensate and we promote and we, again, give people rankings based off of, again, their, their cultural and values fit. So in what ways has the employment brand or attraction capability grown as the company's become more established? Has it been easier for you to attract talent at this stage? Or, you know, as you start growing to a certain point, did you notice a difference? And then how do you create or optimize the experience of the candidate as they're coming through the process? I definitely have noticed a difference. It was hard just because I couldn't find candidates at the beginning. So it was really having to pitch, you know, why come to thousand at the beginning. Now I would say we're, we're more well-known. So it's easier. And even if we're not more well-known, it's easier to understand kind of our presence online just by going to our website or our socials and stuff like that. So people get a good understanding of who we are. I would say in the beginning, there was no candidate process. There was just me having a phone call with someone and really trying to sell them on why they should join if they had, you know, remotely the skill sets I needed. And now I think a lot of it is just understand candidates are trying to make sure that you're the right fit for them too. So like an example is like when our team recruits candidates or when I, we, we let the team into the interviewing process, I always give a brief to people, hey, the goal is not to keep people out. <laughs> so the goal is not to try to hardball questions and try to um, trip people up. The goal is to understand like, do you think this person's going to be a good fit for the team? But also that person's also trying to figure out, <laughs> are you as a company a good fit for them? So that's all the conversation is being really generous with information, how you work together to be honest about, you know, the challenges and also the really, you know, the high points. But I guess for me, I guess I treat recruiting and, and the whole process as a conversation. It's all about getting to know each other better. And do we make sense together? We've talked a little bit about some of the hiring mistakes and a lot of seasoned execs make hiring mistakes as well. It happens. What have you learned from successes and failures and what are some examples that you can point to of things you've learned along the way? For me, it probably boils down to two things to one, really know what job you're hiring for. The mistakes I've made for hiring, again, weren't the candidate's fault. They were my fault. I didn't know the role that I was trying to really recruit for. So when the candidate didn't match, I had an issue. I think the second thing for me was like, it's not all in the resume. Resumes do tell you a lot in terms of a skill set person has and, and what level they're able to handle. But, you know, in the beginning, I think I would just hire, if someone came from a good company that I knew of and they had the title, that was all I needed to think that, you know, we were going to be okay. And I think I've learned in this process that resumes don't tell the full picture. So you really have to understand and get to know a candidate to gauge like whether people are capable or not capable. So when, when you're really trying to understand that job description, what is your process? Do you lock yourself in a room for an hour and do some deep thinking? Do you enlist the other teammates to get input? Do you look outside the organization? What are the things that you do to make sure that that spec is really thinking about what you need now as well as what you're looking for in the future and and how do you sort of pull that together in a way to make sure that you've done enough diligence on the role before you get started? As a starting point, I usually go online and I try to find like 10 job descriptions of that same role. And I start to ask myself, oh, what, what parts make sense for us and what parts don't make sense for us? You know, it actually does take me quite a while to put together a job description because I'm, I'm actually trying to figure out for myself what are the most kind of key needed qualities. 
So that's a starting point for me. I always really try to deep dive with the team on, again, what do we need right now? What do we need long-term? And I think to a degree, you have to make yourself a little bit of an expert in every department that you have. So um, a good example, I am by no means, I would say like a digital expert, but I think I passed you off a bunch of people that I sourced for. It's understanding each channel well enough to be able to realize like, what are the skill sets I need this person to have? To be able to understand like who was like kind of talking the talk and who's someone who can like walk, walk, you probably know where this is a really hard role to recruit for because it's hard to tell. And then like, it's also talking to a lot of external experts. I, I think I probably do go overboard on this, but if I don't feel like I know a role well, I screen more than I normally screen. So for roles, I don't feel like I have a competency in, sometimes I'll screen up to 15, 20 candidates, 15 minute conversations to really start getting a feel like for, oh, okay, so these are what candidates who I feel like really understand what the role is. And here are candidates who I feel like maybe more generalists. And, you know, these are the difference between the two. And I, I refine my JDs even more. That's such a great call out because you really do learn a lot from talking to candidates. What do you think makes someone an authentic and capable leader when you think about evaluating leadership? Because now you've grown to the point where, you know, you need to have significant leadership within your organization. It's a good question. You know, I would say like there's different styles of leadership. So I'll speak to what I believe like the leadership style is at thousand and what we look for. So I would say like in our organization, no one really does the whole command and control style of leadership where you just are directive. You tell people what to do, really prescriptive. They come back and report to you what's done. For myself, even as a leader, I rarely ever dictate this is what you should do to anyone. For me, like if I haven't developed like that team member's competency enough, that's the only point where I should be being super prescriptive. So it's saying, can you guide someone based on the goals and thinking to water and to kind of come up with the solutions and answers yourselves? Can you encourage people along the way when they're going down a good path? So maybe when I think about the leaders that we try to bring in at Thousand, it's people who are really focused on mentorship and building like honest, genuine connections with people. Like I, I think I tend to be very honest with people when I don't think something's my skill set or I'm not very good at something. And then I also do speak up when I think I have a really strong point of view on something. So I maybe look for the same in leaders. It's not someone who has been a VP for 20 years and wants to kind of run the show. It's someone who is willing to take people along on this like mentorship journey. It's to create a lot of psychological safety for people. I think my perspective is like you can't grow teams by controlling teams. You have to develop everyone's competencies. So the leaders who are willing to do the work and shaping and guiding are the ones that I tend to look for. Are there other competencies such as like learning agility or adaptability or, you know, authenticity? What other things do you sort of dig into with leaders from a competency perspective? I think you mentioned one that I do look for is it's adaptability. For me, like, even though we're seven years old now, I still consider us a startup and things are changing every day. The systems we have this year are not going to be the systems that we have next year. So someone who understands that this is like a constantly building ship and can we build something today if we totally need to scrap it because it's not working in six months then we'll scrap it and we'll start new again and again who isn't isn't so maybe rigid like for me flexibility is something I really look for and and maybe it's something else I look for too this might just be a thousand thing or a me thing is I, I do look for a certain level of humility in the sense that some leaders are always like trying to be at the front of the line and talking loud and to lead the show. I, I guess for me, I've, I've always found the best leaders are the ones who give credit to teams, 
the ones who try to lead by example, the ones who try to show, not tell. So probably another quality I look for in a leader, I wouldn't say it's like standard or the right thing to do, but maybe the style of leadership that I like. That's fantastic. So what's your take on in-office, remote, hybrid, and flexible work arrangements? And how are you optimizing that for Thousand? I will say my thought is that it's challenging. No matter which way you pick, it is challenging right now. So Thousand is currently a hybrid work environment. So what that means for us is on a monthly basis, we gather together as a team to do an all-hands meeting, and then we do a team event afterwards. We're also implementing something like on a monthly basis called office hours, where it's just like once a month, we get together as a team if you want to work together, communicate, collaborate, and then we'll go out for like happy hour or something afterwards. And then from there, it's independent work unless departments want to get together with their teams on a weekly or semi-weekly basis. So that's what we're doing right now. I think the challenges of that is it's, it's complicated. Hybrid's complicated. It's a lot of work. When you're too remote, you feel disconnected from your team. You forget why you're there because you just feel like you're doing work. There's no connection to people or the culture. And I think a pure office environment these days, I think people have spoken pretty clearly that they want flexibility. So to disregard what people are considering kind of a, a basic need doesn't feel super appropriate. The answer is all of it is complicated and hard, <laughs> if I'm honest. And it's just trying to find like what works for your organization. And I think for us, we're still figuring it out. We're still trying to find kind of the right balance. As it relates to recruiting, having a little bit more of that hybrid flexibility allows you to recruit from a little bit broader geographic area as well. For sure. Like we, our old office used to be based in downtown LA and no one wants to drive more than like probably 30 to 45 minutes to work. So we recruited kind of all within this little world. But now with this hybrid structure, we basically recruit all through like Southern California, California, and, and some just, you know, a quick plane ride away because we're only getting together a couple of times a month. It's really allowed us to open up our candidate pool. I would say almost 30 to 40% of the team these days is not driving distance, like an easy driving distance from the office. And for me, that speaks to like the talent we can hire just with this more hybrid environment. And what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are just starting out and thinking about what's ahead? When it comes to hiring, I would say like as an entrepreneur, it is so important to know what you're good at, but it is more important to know what you're bad at. So when you're trying to figure out what to hire for, it really is the things that you're never going to be best at. Like I, I tell entrepreneurs, like, even if you think you're mediocre at, you're not, you're probably not good, very good at it. You're, you're probably <laughs> bad at it compared to the marketplace <laughs> who does this day in and day out. And then I say that for myself too. So figure out like the things that you're bad at, but you really need for your organization to succeed. That's what to focus on to hire well. And do you have any informal or formal leadership networks that you're tapping into? Or, you know, who are you surrounding yourself with and what advice are you either receiving or giving to other leaders? I have a great board of directors and a board of advisors, and I call other CEOs or entrepreneurs like really regularly through the month for me, like just to kind of understand how people think that I've never really thought of before is really important. So I think I'm constantly gathering feedback and trying to figure out what's right for our organization, but I think it's hard to figure out what's right in isolation. So I really do lean on others and hopefully I'm helpful too in, in their journey. Why should someone listening to the podcast jump at the opportunity to work at Thousand? I think for me, we're trying to build something that can change culture 
in this call it the e-mobility recycling industry. Again, we really believe long-term that this industry should be more diverse and inclusive. We really believe that it should be more sustainable. And we believe that everyone belongs under the tent. So for us, thousand means more than just trying to make a dime at the end of the day. It really is like, can we, can we change a culture? So if people are interested in any of those things or our mission of connecting people to our cities and saving lives, then, then I think you should definitely apply. So what's exciting at thousand right now? What are you thinking about or how are you thinking about the future for yourself and the company? I'm really excited right now because we're going to launch a new product category in this next couple of months, or not even months now, weeks. So that's really exciting. It's something we've been working on for a long time. But I think I'm also just excited for this next phase. Uh, you know, we started six, seven years ago in my garage, and now I look around and I'm like surprised that this is like a company with, you know, people in it. So I'm really just excited about the team members and the talent that's here and just what we can build together. Can you speak to the new product? Yeah, we're launching into the lights category. So they're super cool. They're magnetic. You can pull them on and off really easy so thieves don't steal it. They're also way easier to turn. We've got like a dial system, like a camera aperture versus just the button. So all kind of things we've developed that are unique to Thousand. So I was very excited to launch them in the next couple of weeks. Well, congratulations on all your success. And it's been so great getting to know you over the last few months. How would someone interested in working at Thousand apply for open positions? Yeah, just go to our website, explore1000.com and check out our careers page. Um, if there's no careers, we're always just looking for great talent. So feel free to contact us at info at explore1000.com. And if anything opens up, we're happy to contact you back. Great. And thank you so much for taking time to share your knowledge and wisdom about being an entrepreneur and about hiring it specifically. I think you're fantastic at it. And I think a lot of people will benefit and learn from this podcast. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Roy. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in to How I Hire. Visit howihire.com for more details about what you heard. If you'd like to support our show, let your friends and colleagues know about us. You can also leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We always appreciate hearing from you. How I Hire is created by Noda Group Executive Search. To find out more about Noda Group, visit notagroup.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter there. This podcast was produced by A.O. McLean, LLC. To learn more about their great work, visit aomclean.com.